What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one that they call Shane Squatch. And I'm Oren. Now I'm just Oren. What happened to just Oren? <laughs> oh. Oh, dude, you want me to be just Orin? Yeah, I'm just Orin. Just Orin. Okay. <laughs> well, just Orin wants to uh, remind all the listeners out there, uh, we just dropped the first episode of Bizarre Inquiries, which uh, kind of in the future is going to be our Patreon-exclusive mini-show. But uh, for the first couple episodes, we're going to drop it for everybody to check out. Uh, so that's available on YouTube. Uh, we were pretty happy with how the first episode turned out, so uh, you guys definitely go check that out if you want to. And uh, going forward, we're going to probably drop at least one episode a month onto YouTube and on our normal feed. Uh, the other three episodes, four episodes, depending on the month, you know, <clears throat> will all be exclusively on the Patreon. So even if you're on the Patreon, you'll still get a little bit of a taste of Bizarre Inquiries. And that being said, also, if anybody wants to submit any questions to us as far as Bizarre Inquiries go, don't hesitate. Shoot us a message on Instagram, uh, uh, email Facebook, literally anything you guys can get a hold of us on, send us your questions so that we can discuss them on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And piggybacking off of that, you guys know the drill. Do all the internet things. Reach out to us. Social media, Instagram's where we're most active. Shoot us an email. Uh, the Discord, uh, we're trying to get that built up, so uh, reach out to us through there. And uh, Shane's going to tell you a little bit about the submission form. And if anybody has a bizarre encounter that they would like to report to us, that we can either investigate if you're close, uh, read it on the show, give you a shout-out. You could possibly be a guest on the show if you want to come on and talk about it. Or if you simply just want somebody to talk about an experience with and you don't want it to get down it out to anybody. We can do any of those things, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter if it's paranormal, extraterrestrial, cryptids, weird anomalous things that have happened. We want to hear about them. Report them to OMM encounter reports at outlook.com, or you guys can go to our link tree and there is a specific submission form that says report and encounter. And beyond that, if anybody wants to support the show, a couple different ways to do so. Number one is to go and join the Patreon over there. You'll get exclusive things such as Early access to shows, lives of shows, live replays of shows, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, Bizarre Inquiries, the full every single episode of Bizarre Inquiries, of course. And uh, there's a lot more cool stuff going on over there. Always trying to build and expand on that. So if you guys want to do us some a huge help, actually, you guys can go and join the Patreon. And uh, if anybody has any suggestions to improve the Patreon, I'm all ears and I would absolutely love to hear it in order to uh, accompany it more and bring more in that you guys would like to see. Um, and also with that, you don't just get Bizarre Encounters, you also get Inquiries of All Reality and, like I said, Bizarre Inquiries. So you get three shows, all for the price of one. Absolutely fantastic. And it helps us out greatly. And if anybody wants to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through Red Circle, which is our RSS host for the show. Makes it so that we can get out to more events, be able to meet more of you guys, be able to get new pockets of listeners, and essentially just keep uh, expanding the show as much as we possibly can. And uh, third, you guys can also go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, you'll find stuff for Bizarre Encounters, Increase All Reality, and any other cryptid designs that I start working into there. Uh, the goal is to hopefully drop at least a new design once a month, once every other month, depending on how everything kind of falls out. But there's always going to be new stuff over there if you guys want to go and check it out. And before you guys know it, I'm going to be dropping the uh, Bizarre Inquiries t-shirt over there, and you'll start seeing Bizarre Inquiries designs over on that side of everything, too. And number four... 
you guys can uh, leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And uh, if you guys leave a five-star review, I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. Or you guys can also just share the show through word of mouth. If you think anybody would really enjoy our random bantering back and forth on bizarre topics, uh, or if you think anybody would just enjoy a specific episode, you guys can share it with them. And if you guys don't want to do any of that, we just appreciate that you guys are out there list- listening to the show and enjoying the show. And uh, if you want to, you guys can always uh, set the show to auto-download and make it so that even if you don't listen to every single episode, it'll count for one more up on that. And it'll uh, help out the algorithm to make it so that more people are able to see the show. And we want to give a big shout out and a thank you to our buddies Rick and Hans at I Know Squatch. Uh, thank you to them for sponsoring the show and hooking us up. Uh, Shane has a pretty sweet camouflage embroidered hoodie that they just dropped. Uh, so you guys definitely go check that out. Super nice. Uh, it's like thin stuff. but thick. It's, it's thin but super warm. So definitely worth it. It's super nice hoodie. It's thin but thick. But anyway, Thin but warm. That's what I meant out. to say. <laughs> I'm not trying to contradict myself. <laughs> it's thin but warm. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But uh, you, you guys know we love their stuff, so definitely go show them some love. And if you guys are looking for anything else to support, check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He is killing it with his uh, alien and high strangeness and cryptid designs, as always. And I know that he is in between convention season, so he's dropping a bunch of new stuff. So, guys, check out I Know Squatch for your Squatch gear. And for any other crypto you guys could possibly imagine, Crypto Theology is the way to go. And uh, beyond that, to all my uh, paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It is the all-in-one paranormal investigating device. I use it every single time that I go out. It's absolutely fantastic. And if you guys have any questions on it whatsoever, you guys can hit up Barry on Dimension Devices on Instagram. Uh, he is the guy that programs it, set it all up. He completely is the guy who single-handedly developed this piece of equipment that is absolutely fantastic. So again, if you guys have any technical questions, go and hit him up. He can answer any question that you guys might have. And if you guys decide to pick up a chatter, guys, don't forget to use our affiliate link because it greatly, greatly helps out the show. And all these... uh cool things we've mentioned for you guys today are listed in the show notes in the show description and now moving on to this fantastic episode that weirdly enough both of us were kind of researching for a while and then uh, i kind of step back from it and let you kind of go on with it but just because of that i guess we kind of have a two-sided to the one to this one and i feel like you probably uh covered it a lot better than i did and uh that being said considering that i did the topic for last week this week man i'm passing the mic over to you to to run the topic and uh, tell them all about this uh awesome deep dive that you did so for anybody that's watching the video of this, we have a special guest with us tonight. We have our little Kentucky Goblin from uh, Lisa at uh, Cryptid Comforts. We take this little guy with us everywhere. If you follow me or Jenny on Instagram, you've seen him in the Bahamas and West Virginia and all over the place. So uh, that is a teaser for tonight's episode. Dude, you got you guys got to get a specific bizarre encounter shirt printed for it, and they can just start going to conventions with us. And never all the listeners can expect to see the little uh, Hopskinville Goblin at every convention that we show up at. <laughs> uh, his name is Hoppy. And, uh, Hoppy the Jimmy Hopskin. Started, yep, and Jimmy <laughs> started making him clothes. He had um, a little Hawaiian shirt when we went to uh, the Bahamas. He's had a Christmas sweater. She made him like a little Star Wars track suit that he's wearing right now. So, uh, yeah. Got the He'll Rebel logo on there. <laughs> yeah. So, he's definitely going to be at uh, conventions and whatnot with us. But anyway, so jumping into the topic, we are talking about the uh, Hopkinsville Goblins encounter tonight. And so, this case kind of goes by many different names. Uh, some people call it the uh, Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Some people call it the Kelly Green Man encounter. I'm just going to call it. Hopkinsville goblins, because that seems kind of like the most widely used term. So jumping right into it, the and uh, Shane, I know, like you said, this is a topic that you've done a fair amount of research on. So uh, hop in with any of your insights or research whenever you want to. So. I'll drop my big theory on this one at the very end. I'll wait till the tail okay. end of this to drop my, you know, the one that I've been working on for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll leave that there and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drop the big theory at the very end. <laughs> Well, we will uh, cover that in conclusions and theories then. So uh, jumping right in, the Hopkinsville Goblins encounter took place on Sunday, August 21st of 1955. And it happened in a small community called Kelly, Kentucky. AKA uh, why it's also known as the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins for anybody that may not be familiar. Because I know a lot of people are probably questioning why the word Kelly was in there. But I'll I'll pass it back to you. Sorry. (laughs) No. So uh, Kelly uh, is kind of like an unofficial like 
community, not really a town. So the uh, closest actual town is Hopkinsville, which is about eight miles away. So that's kind of why it became known as the Hopkinsville Goblins case. Old farm towns where it wasn't like an official town kind of a thing because there was just so much of a landmass in between two areas. So closest major city was Hopkinsville. So jumping back in, the encounter took place on the property of a woman by the name of Glennie May Sutton Lankford, which is a mouthful. But uh, Glennie May was the widow of a man named Oscar Lankford, and her first husband was a man named Tillman Sutton. And she lived on a small farmhouse on the property that had no running water. And I mentioned that because uh, the no running water thing is going to kind of come up here in a minute. So uh, visiting with Glennie May that night uh, were some of her children. Um, one was Lonnie Lankford. Another one was Carlton Lankford. Mary Lankford, Elmer uh, Lucky was his nickname, Sutton, and his wife Vera, and John Charlie or J.C. Sutton, and his wife Arlene. And uh, also there were Arlene's brother, his name was O.P. Baker, um, Elmer's friend Billy Ray Taylor, and Billy Ray's wife June. So there's a whole slew of people there, um, 11 adults in total. There are also some children there, but I never saw like a definitive number on how many children were actually present. So, Needless to say, a shit ton of witnesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty good crowd there. So around uh, 7 p.m. Uh, that night on the 21st, the families were kind of just hanging out in the farmhouse after dinner. And Billy Ray Taylor went outside to collect a bucket of water from the well because, again, they had no running water. So while he was at the well he saw a large disc-shaped object streak across the sky. And the object had different colored lights coming from its rear, and it emitted a loud hissing sound. Sorry, I want to do some sound effects. Hissing, buzzing, whatever. (laughs) So the object appeared to land in a ravine near the farmhouse, and Billy Ray could see like a bright glow coming from the alleged landing site. And all that sounds really similar to Flatwoods to me, which we you know talked about a couple weeks ago. And uh, as we talked about a little bit in that episode, there's just so many similarities between these like Appalachian cryptid monster sightings. Uh, so that's kind of why you know we talked about if you if you're going to talk about one of these, you got to talk about all of them. So again, this is our kind of unofficial. Appalachian monster series. This is part two of it. Like I said I on the last one at the beginning. Imagine this like the Marvel series where you can watch them all and listen to them all individually, but they go together as a lump sum, but they're not an official series until we get to the yeah. Avengers one <laughs> when all the cryptids all fight each other. It's a expanded universe. Or <laughs> yeah. And then we get into the multiverse, but hey, that's a whole other topic for another day. So uh, Billy Ray ran back to the farmhouse and he told the others what he had seen. And of course, they were kind of skeptical of this. They thought he probably just saw like a shooting star or something like that. But an hour, uh, about an hour later, the dogs started barking and just like going crazy out in the yard. So uh, Elmer and Billy Ray went outside to investigate and they found the dogs like huddled under the porch. Those dogs are like, I'm not going to be the first one to die. You know how that goes every other time, man. Dogs start acting weird, and then they disappear, and you never see them dogs again. (laughs) So uh, while they were outside, they saw movement in, like, a nearby patch of trees, and they saw, like, this strange little creature approaching the house. And uh, they described the creature as resembling a goblin or a gremlin. So that's, you know, where the Hopkinsville goblin's name comes from. They said it was approximately three to four feet tall, and its entire body had like a yellowish glow to it. And they said it kind of looked like, uh, and this is a quote, it was covered with a shiny metal. And uh, the creature also had a large head, pointed ears with glowing yellow eyes that were kind of located like on the sides of its head. And it also had long, thin arms, webbed fingers, and claw-like talons, which kind of sounds a little bit like Pascagoula, but, you know, these creatures are much smaller than what was reported in Pascagoula. Um, It had short legs, and in some reports that I read, people said that it had circular feet that kind of resembled suction cups, but that didn't pop up in every account I read, just a couple of them. And it also appeared that the creatures moved by floating above the ground. And, you know, this floating motif pops up time and time again. We talked about it 
you know, again, in Flatwoods and Pascagoula. So again, lots of connections to other stuff we've talked about. I like how the deterioration always comes with these things that the color ends up getting messed up because most people know the Hopskinville goblins as being green, such as, you know, your, your little figure that you got over there. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know where that came into context. I don't know why they decided to throw that on there. Maybe because of the whole like little green men concept, but like, so we're going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, so yeah, this case is kind of where the term little green men originated from. It came from a, um, a newspaper report and, you know, the families never said that these creatures were green, but it's kind of been speculated in something that I read that it was either like a misunderstanding or almost a play on words with this happened in Kelly, Kentucky and like Kelly is a shade of green and kind of maybe just, you know, we talk about the game of telephone or just miscommunication or whatever. So that was one theory that I came across with why little green men could have been a thing. I mean, I don't know when like sci-fi writing really started getting into like the whole alien concept exactly, but I kind of wonder if like the whole like little green aliens thing existed within like sci-fi novels before then. So they just kind of like associated it as all the same thing. Uh, what I read said that this was like the first confirmed usage of that term. Now, whether oh. that's true or not, but I saw several sources that said that so i mean this is 1955 you'd think that kind of sci-fi writing and whatnot was around well that time it's swing at that point but um but i mean as far as sci-fi like involving like extraterrestrials or aliens maybe it like wasn't like getting popular until around that time of course like sci-fi writing existed before then but i don't know exactly what like because context or sci-fi is kind of a wide context of things so it's like it may not have necessarily been heavily focused on aliens until the 50s you know well, and something that I read at some point, and I can't remember what it was from. It might be Keel. I, I can't remember. But uh, it talked about how kind of prior to this time period and like the Betty and Barney Hill case, which was a few years after this, there's this idea of extraterrestrials or whatever being space men. It, like they looked very humanoid and they came in rockets or whatever. And this kind of idea of like the small humanoid gray type thing didn't develop until later on. And, you know, Betty and Barney Hill was kind of the turning point for that. But uh, this could be just an earlier example of kind of that motif. I mean, a lot of stuff all happening around the same time period, it all kind of starts blending together and people start mixing something from over here, from over there. I mean, we've talked about it in all of our folklore episodes. I mean, it's like the cross section of a bunch of weird stuff happening. And the farther it gets from that time period, the more stuff starts kind of blending together and people just start mixing the stories together to begin with. Well, and things weren't nearly as connected <clears throat> back then. So, I mean, some person or some case over here could come up with something and somebody over here could come up with something else. And, you know, through the years, it kind of all gets mixed together and you come out with this kind of poo-poo platter of the paranormal, you know? And I mean, people playing hey, telephone we, we too, to, they uh, hear two stories. We need to trademark that one. Poo-poo platter of the paranormal. And a crazy fiasco. <laughs> Magical fiasco. Magical fiasco. Say it, say it right. Well, I'm sorry. That's not my line. It's your line. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, jumping back in. So after Elmer and Billy Ray saw this strange creature, uh, they ran back inside the house to retrieve their guns. Because, of course, you know, they're going to shoot this motherfucker. So uh, when they got back out on the porch, they had their guns raised and the creature was approaching. But apparently it like had its hands raised above its head, which I thought was kind of an interesting detail. It almost sounds like it was like. I don't know if it's a universal thing that anything would kind of be like, I surrender, but I wonder if that was like what its intentions were is like, I'm not here to hurt you. Like, hands up. Like, well, I have maybe no weapons. Maybe it was doing something else, and that's just how they interpreted it. You know, because it, it kind of seems like a weird detail to me. I mean, it could mean something totally different somewhere else. I mean, even on Earth, you know, like the middle finger is different in six different exactly, countries, yeah. you know, like the sign of I'm going to surrender and human maybe put your hands up. But the sign of I am coming after your ass might be put your hands up if you're an extraterrestrial. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, uh, as we'll get into, it seemed like they might have been a little more playful than that. But um, so Elmer and Billy Ray started firing, you know, several rounds at these creatures. And when the bullet struck it, it made a sound that, quote, resembled bullets striking a metal bucket. Ping! And, yeah, exactly. And so uh, the creature was, like, repeatedly knocked down, but it just kind of floated back up and floated away. So it like, didn't matter how many times they shot this thing. It made, you know, no difference at all. 
And so uh, Elmer and Billy Ray went back into the house and they kind of gathered with everybody in the living room. And uh, soon after that, another creature appeared, like peering through one of the windows. And so at that point, J.C. Sutton, which is another one of the brothers, fired around through the window and hit the creature. And it, you know, did the same thing, tumbled backwards, just floated back up and floated away. So uh, Elmer and Billy Ray decided to go back outside to investigate again. And uh, when Billy Ray was stepping off of the porch, supposedly a clawed hand reached down from the roof and like attempted to like pull his hair as he was stepping off of the porch. You're just trying to give so, him a little uh, tickle on the top of the head. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Yeah, he was playing with him. <laughs> but uh, Arlene saw this happening, and so she grabbed Billy Ray and pulled him back into the house. But Elmer was already outside at this point, so he shot the creature, and it fell off the roof, and, you know, same thing. You know, floats back up, floats away. I want to make a comment real quick before I completely forget about it. So they're talking about the yellowish glow that's coming off these things and, like, the metallic Mm -hmm. kind of, like, view to them. So just trying to think about how, like, extraterrestrial technology could theoretically work. The best way I can kind of, like, describe this is, are you familiar with, like, the symbiote suit from, uh, like, Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's, like... You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have a shape. It's not like a suit you put on. It's something that kind of like you, you hit something and it kind of like takes your form and like morphs over your body. So like the metallic view from these things, just again, assuming alien technology, you know, if it's more advanced than us, they may not have like a suit that they literally like step in and put their arms in. So maybe like the metallic hue from it was because this was some type of advanced technology that essentially they hit a button and were able to like coat themselves in this like metallic coating. And that's why they were like bullet resistant, why they had like the yellowish glow to it is because it was just some type of advanced technology like deflection suit. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's possible, and uh, we're going to kind of touch on another instance of these kind of like metallic-type suits with a extraterrestrial-type creature uh, further down the road in another episode in this unofficial series. So uh, that's definitely something to keep in mind, and we're going to kind of touch on again later. Teaser. Yeah, you know we're all about the teasers. We love year. to tease you around here. That's what she said. Hey, <laughs> Elmer and Billy Ray, uh, they had like several more run-ins, encounters, what have you, with these creatures for the next several hours. And each time they shot at them, you know, it was the same thing. It just, you know, fell down backwards, floated back up, floated away. They saw it again somewhere else. Why does this vaguely remind me of Ape Canyon? Just like the whole idea of being like barricaded inside of a house and just shooting these things as they're trying to come in like the doors and windows. Like just very reminiscent of Ape Canyon. Well, and again, you know, the difference between that could be a seven-foot-tall hairy creature versus a three-foot-tall goblin, but, like, it seems like these were a little more curious and mischievous than, like, truly meaning harm, but uh, we can get into that a little bit in kind of more of the conclusion section. Yeah, just more so the idea. I'm not saying exactly that they're, oh, like, yeah, just, yeah. just the feel of it, some, you know? Definitely some similarities. But at one point, they spotted one of the creatures on a nearby fence, and they shot at it, and again, it knocked it, the creature down, and it floated away. So uh, keep in mind this, you know, they saw it on a fence. This is going to come back up later. So eventually things kind of died down a little bit, and Elmer and Billy Ray went back into the house. But, the, you know, the creatures kind of continued to terrorize the farmhouse for several hours. They were scratching at the roof, peering in windows. Um, Tickling the cow's udders. I, I don't know about that. Tickle, 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 tickle. Confirmation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they initially said that there appeared to be 12 to 15 of the creatures, but later they kind of recanted, not recanted, but questioned that and said, you know, there could have been as few as two of them because it seemed like these creatures kind of showed themselves like one at a time. So, you know, it could have been just one or two of these creatures, even just, you know, kind of apparating from one place to the next almost. I mean, if they're like popping in and like phasing in and out almost, I don't know if it necessarily was described like that, but it's like, it'd be hard to realistically count them anyways. Cause if they phase over here, phase over there, phase over here, it could look like there was four of them, but it may have only been one, you know? Yeah. Well, I never saw those exact words or terms used, but you know, taking it a step further, that's kind of an easy conclusion to come to, I think is, Hey, it could have just been one and it was, you know, portals whatever you want to say just popping back and forth you know all over this farmhouse property 
and sneaking up on the roof and peeking yeah. in the windows like and a creep. And pulling people's hair. And pulling hair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so around 11 p.m., uh, Elmer and Billy Ray decided that, you know, they had just had enough of this. So they decided to uh, seek help, and they uh, drove some of the members of the family to uh, Hopkinsville, which is eight miles away, like we said. And when they arrived at the uh, Hopkinsville police station, they were, like, frantic. And they told the police chief, uh, Russell Greenwell, and the other officers on duty what they had been through that night. And the members of the family were, like, so hysterical that the officers were convinced that, you know, at least something had happened. It might not have been little goblins, but... you know, they thought something weird had happened to these people. Do you think cops back in the day would be more likely to believe an off the wall situation like this than nowadays? Because I kind of get that feel from it that I cops back so. in the day took this stuff a little bit more seriously than they do nowadays. People report this kind of stuff. Well, not to tease again, but, you know, this is like something that's come up in research for kind of it's going to be the, the big finale of this series. Um, but it's specifically been said you know, in these small rural towns, hey, I knew these people forever. I knew their kids, went to church with their mama, that kind of shit. So they said this, I believed them. You know, that's kind of something that keeps popping up time and time again. So I think, yeah, whereas nowadays, if something like this is reported, people are naturally more skeptical. Granted, you know, this is a long time ago. All this kind of thing wasn't you know, nearly as prevalent as it is now. But that's what I was yeah, going to say. Say thanks to the internet. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people are more likely to believe stuff, especially in these small towns, I feel like. I mean, thanks to the internet where everything's so, like, washed out that everybody's regularly, like, reading about this stuff if you're looking for it. Like, versus back in the day when it's not like you could just look up something on the internet. You know, it's like there's a lot more questions and mysteries in life. So people were more prone to believe stuff that was off the wall because you couldn't just look up any answer at the tip of your fingers back in the day. Well, and I think people were just naturally more trusting back then you know just left skeptical across the board like especially in a small town like you said versus like a major city because if like a case like this happened in a major city it probably would have had a lot more of like a grain of salt to it than a small town would have because again the police officer knows your family they grew up with you and all that and they they know where your background comes from you know and if you're like the town drunk they're not going to believe shit but if you're exactly. somebody who's oh, humble I, goes to church every week like all that stuff they're going to yeah, be more prone to believe you this bastard's crazy or whatever. They're going to know not to trust that person. But uh, we are going to get into um, why some people question the validity of some of these stories in a little bit. So uh, keep that in mind when we get to that uh, here in kind of the conclusion section. But anyway, uh, like we said, so the officers were convinced that something weird had happened. So uh, Sheriff Greenwell... um, he made a radio call asking for additional assistance. And so Greenwell was joined at the farm by a total of 16 other law enforcement agents. Wow. Including four military policemen from nearby Fort Campbell. So I thought that was an interesting detail, too. So there's a lot of, you know, police officers showed up at this thing. So they took it fairly seriously. And the fact that military policemen from a military installation showing up, I thought that was interesting as well it may also be the fact of how many witnesses were involved in this because they may not have sent 16 police officers if it was like two guys fishing like pascagoula for example but if it's like 11 people in the house and an unknown number of kids like that's a lot of witnesses where you kind of have to like take it seriously if that many people are saying that something weird is happening you know yeah and i think we touch on this in a little bit but um this is widely regarded as one of the more reputable kind of UFO cases just because of how many people were there and how many people reported seeing something. And again, kind of like with the Flatwood situation, all the reports are pretty consistent that these people were making and they didn't really change their stories in the years after. I mean, this is probably up until like modern day, where you have like all those weird things like the UFO scene at the O'Hare airport, even the Miami thing, possibly the um, stuff for Las Vegas, like up until more recently, back in the day, this was probably like the most people that had seen something like this up and uh, even up through the seventies, 50 or 60s, 70s, eighties. Like this was probably the most eyewitnesses on one weird anomalous event than anything else until again, more present day when you get into like the super weird yeah, stuff. I think at this point in time, for sure. I mean, we get into things like, you know, the Battle of Los Angeles and like the Arizona UFO sightings and the Washington, D.C. sightings and things like that. But in any of those cases, people didn't report seeing actual creatures. You know, so I think that kind of 
separates this from a lot of those more just kind of anomalous light type situations. I mean, creature wise, like other than again, the past, the Peruvian face peelers, um, the stuff in Las Vegas and the stuff in Miami, like actually seeing an extraterrestrial, this was probably the most eyewitnesses on it. Cause the O'Hare stuff was all, you know, UFOs. So it's like, you were actually seeing like a physical creature. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like we talked about a little bit with Flatwoods, it just checks so many boxes, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, kind of jumping back in, uh, local media outlets like really quickly learned of this situation and reporters from the Hopkinsville newspaper. Uh, it's called the Kentucky new era. They showed up at the farm and there's also people from the local radio station W H O P. And so, you know, a lot of people started arriving at the farm. Wahop. By like 12. Yeah. Wahop. <laughs> Wahop. So by 1230 AM, you know, there's a lot of people, a storm of activity at the farm. And the officer, excuse me, the officers searched the property, but of course they claimed to find no physical evidence. Uh, they just found a lot of bullet holes in the buildings and the windows and whatnot. Talk about smart extraterrestrials, bro. If these things come and they purposely float, they ain't leaving no footprints and they're probably thinking of that logically. They're like, all right, if we're going to go to a planet and we're going to observe people, whatever, we can't leave any kind of trace evidence or footprints. Little, <laughs> But in other cases, you get that burn mark from like the UFO, but you never find extraterrestrial footprints. Yeah, I never heard anything about footprints, but there was possibly some evidence left, which we're going to get into in a second. Uh, so while the officers were investigating, um, again, they found no physical evidence of the creatures, but it was unknown if the alleged landing site in the ravine was searched, which seems ridiculous to me. Why would you not search the alleged landing site? Yeah, right? <laughs> but uh, this I thought was really interesting. So there were reports of, quote, an odd luminous patch along the fence where one of the beings had been shot. And so this was like just some glowing green spot on the grass. So, you know, some people theorize, oh, they shot one of these things. This was its blood or whatever, which might not be since they shot these things several times and there was like no effect. But um, part of the suit broke off, man. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but we got some theories about that coming up, so keep that in mind. Um, so by 2 a.m., uh, the officers and reporters kind of began to leave the farmhouse, and the families, you know, kind of attempted to get some sleep at that point. But around 3.30 a.m., uh, Glennie Mae was awakened by the sound of scratching on the roof, and she said she saw another one of the creatures peering through her bedroom window. So at this point, she, you know, alerted the other members of the family that the creatures had returned. And so Elmer and, uh, you know, the whole gang kind of recommenced a shooting at the creatures again. And this went on for a couple hours. And shortly after 5 a.m., they reported that, you know, all this harassment kind of stopped and the creatures disappeared and were not seen again. So, you know, they kind of just as quickly as they came, they just left. So seems like uh, that's how it goes is, with most cases. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the meat of the main encounter. Um, is there anything you'd like to add before we kind of jump into the aftermath and theories and all that kind of fun stuff? Oh, we can hop into the aftermath and theories. I feel like that's a pretty, pretty well-rounded covered for at least all the research I was doing on my side. It pretty much came with all the same, same key points. Okay. So uh, let's get into the aftermath. So the next morning, which would have been August 22nd, uh, police officers returned to the farm to, you know, further investigate. And they alleged that the glowing substance by the fence was no longer there. Um, but they also discovered that, like, a lot of the members of the family had also disappeared uh, at some point during the night. And they found out that they had went to Evansville, Indiana, to borrow a truck from a relative so they could move Glennie Mae off of the property. So this was kind of, you know, they were done at this point. They wanted nothing to do with this property, nothing to do with the farmhouse after fighting goblins all night they, they were out so. fuck that shit i'm out this isn't like no thank yeah, you <laughs> not like in horror movies when the walls start bleeding and they're like oh, we'll just paint over that no no th these guys were out so um the next morning also there was an article about the incident in the uh kentucky new era newspaper and the story was also covered on a what did you call it whop 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 and several other like local radio stations. 
And due to this media coverage, there's a lot of like curious locals and reporters that started showing up at the property. And reporters interviewed like multiple members of the family. And, you know, again, they made drawings off of their descriptions of the creatures. And just like with Flatwoods, these drawings are, you know, really consistent. They're really cool drawings, too. Maybe we can work those into the um, artwork somehow. Oh, you already know I'm going to. I, I always like taking like the old newspaper articles for all this stuff and including all the original photos. Like, you, you already know yeah, I'm going to do that, even if you didn't say it. These are some of my favorite. Like, I like these even better than the, uh, the Flatwoods drawings myself. So uh, news of the incident quickly spread, you know, well beyond this little community in Kentucky and it went all over the country. And stories appeared uh, as far away as the New York Daily News and the Los Angeles Times. And there uh, was an article in the Indianapolis Star, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. And the headline read, quote, little green men from spaceship give Kentucky or family in Kentucky, excuse me, night of terror. So, again, this is widely thought to be the first use of the term little green men, and, you know, we touched on that a little bit, so I'm not going to beat that dead horse. Talk about sucking in an audience, man. If I saw that news title, I would definitely read it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, <laughs> this is still kind of ironic because nobody claimed that these things were green, you know, at the time, afterwards. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of just one of those mistakes or misunderstandings that's become just accepted fact almost it's it's become part of the folklore too where it's like all of us researchers are like fully aware of the fact that they're silver but they still get depicted as green little green man yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's what it is at this point so uh famous ufo investigator uh j allen hynek which a lot of our listeners probably know he was part of project blue book uh he came to kelly and hopkinsville to investigate and uh Project Blue Book allegedly collected a large file on the encounter, but it was not included in like their official list of UFO sightings, which is kind of interesting. Maybe they thought this one was, you know, reputable and that's why they didn't include it. Who knows? <laughs> they're like, all right, this one's too good. Don't put it in the report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's too much to this one. Uh, so in the aftermath of the encounter, the families, you know, they still received a lot of media attention and scrutiny and people showing up at the farm and on the property. So all of them like pretty much left the area and they kind of started refusing to talk about this. So obviously it seems to me this was not a hoax. They weren't looking for attention. They weren't looking to profit off of this because once the media attention and scrutiny got too much, they, they just left, you know? Yeah. If they, they made it up. They would have been all about it. Like, do you guys want to hear my story? Do you guys want to yeah, do a report been, on this? Do you want to do that? <laughs> you know, printing off t-shirts or whatnot, but no, they didn't do any of that. I'm kind of curious if so, this house is still there or if it's been like abandoned and not. torn down by now. Yeah. Yeah. The house, uh, it seemed like it was basically just like a shack anyway, even at that point in time. So I think the the house is long gone and the property is, private property so you can't just like go and see this site i'm kind of curious though uh, if there's a tunnel entrance to like the mammoth caves like somewhere close to this house and we'll get into my weird theories a little bit later on but um yeah I'm, I'm, i'm curious like how close a tunnel entrance may have been to this house well i'm sure we'll talk about that more in theories but i mean in this area there's probably tunnel entrances everywhere you know even if they weren't fully aware of them man they could have been covered up with some dirt who knows, man? I guarantee you, like, I mean, pretty much well, all of Kentucky, for the most part, has the cave systems underneath it. So it's like not necessarily a question of was there a cave system. It's a matter of like, where was the nearest entrance? <laughs> and we know there was a well. So, you know, that, that's a big Boom. hole in the ground at that point. So anyway, uh, kind of after all this died down, uh, Glennie May later stated that she did not believe that the creatures meant the families any harm, but they're kind of just curious. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, even though they shot at these things for hours, she still thought they kind of were just, you know, almost like childlike in a way is how I've heard it described. They, you can't hurt me with your earth weapons. We're just playing, uh, we're playing tag at this point. <laughs> Play, playing hide and seek with goblins. That's why he tickled the guy's hair. He was trying to say, you're it. <laughs> Maybe so. so uh, throughout the years, you know, there's been several books written about this encounter. And uh, there's also a 2005 documentary, which I haven't been able to find on anything, but it's called uh, Monsters of the UFO Incident at Kelly. So I definitely want to check that out if I can find it on anything. But um, you might have to do some digging. Talk- it's probably you might be able to find it as like a like you know just like a file somewhere it may not actually be or, on like a streaming service but you you can probably find the file for it on the internet somewhere 
I don't know. There's some like really obscure shit on some of those, you know, free weird streaming services like Tubi and stuff like that. So I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I'm just gonna have to do some more digging. Shout out to Tubi though because they have all the small town monster stuff on there. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it's a pretty decent service. But anyway, so we've talked about this on the show many times, but in Hellier made by Greg and D, uh, Dana Newkirk. They talk about this encounter quite a bit in that show. So I know, uh, you know, people's mileage varies on Hellier, but it's at least a fun thing to watch. Um, if you guys want to learn more about this encounter situation, whatever, and some other things uh, that it could be connected to, definitely check that out. It's more like a starting point for them than anything. Cause it's like, yeah, of course exactly. it all kind of follows the whole goblin concept, but like, as far as this specific case goes, it's kind of only like the, like the starting point, because realistically, why they go out is because somebody else reports in a, gobl a goblin encounter. So it's like, yeah, very similar. And yeah. this is like the closest thing that they could find to what somebody else in more recent times were reporting. Exactly. But uh, anyway, so the uh, town of Kelly hosts an annual festival called Little Green Men Days, which I think is kind of funny. Since, Little again, like Silver Men Days. Yeah, yeah, that just doesn't roll off the tongue. And they even have a 38-foot replica of a flying saucer for this festival that people can kind of like pose with and take pictures. So I thought that was kind of cool. And um, we touched on this a little bit, but this is one of my favorite just little tidbits in this whole case. So Edgar Casey, which was, you know, a famous psychic and clairvoyant. We have a whole episode on him that we did over the summer. Check that out if you haven't. But he was born like right outside of Hopkinsville. And when he was a child, he claimed that he conversed with what he called fairy-like beings that he called little folk. And these interactions with these little folk continued as, you know, he grew up. So that's just something I think is wild. And, you know, the whole Hellier, Hopkinsville, Goblin, the, uh, maybe there's something to this area, you know? Hey, man, that's uh, we're starting to build up to my theory. Just, we got to wait till the end. I'm going to drop my weird theory on this one. Well, we are jumping right into theories now. So, uh, like we talked about a little bit, this is regarded as one of the most reputable and notable UFO alien encounters in history. And throughout the years, there's been you know all sorts of theories thrown out there, kind of like Flatwoods. Um, so, it's been suggested that the creatures were great horned owls. Always. So, of course, they were owls. Yeah. And the uh, the UFO was actually a weather balloon, and uh, the glowing hue that came from them was swamp gas. Well, they said the UFO was a meteor, same as uh, Flatwoods. But anyway, the whole owl thing. Here's an idea. Aliens. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I got to use that at least once per alien episode. <laughs> well, you got it. We got it out of the way. We met our quota. But anyway, the whole owl thing is ridiculous in this one, too, because as many rounds of ammunition as they shot at these things, there would have been feathers or they probably would have hit one of them at some point. And, you know, owls just really don't behave how these things were reported to behave. So this owl explanation is only slightly more believable than it was in Flatwoods, I think. Dude, you practically would have blown up that owl hitting it with a shotgun. You would have, like, shredded that damn thing. <laughs> yeah, and even if they were, like, the worst shots ever, they would have hit one of these things at some point, you know? For anybody out there that doesn't know, shotgun shells spread, and they hit a target of, like, they hit a wide margin of target. So, like, you, even if you would have been, like, you know, a foot and a half to the one side of it, you probably still would have clipped the owl if it was an owl. Yeah, they would have hit something, so... Anyway, like we said, uh, it's been suggested that the object that Billy Ray Taylor saw in the sky was a meteor. But again, this does not account for the presence of the creatures. And again, there was no you know, meteor found, no landing site, anything like that. And this one's kind of interesting, though. So the explanation commonly given for the kind of mysterious glowing green patch on the fence uh, they said that it could have been something called foxfire, which is a bioluminescent fungus that sometimes grows on decaying wood and produces a greenish glowing light. So that's another common thing amongst weird anomalous stuff is everybody wants to call it a fungus because we were just talking about that last week. <laughs> but, you know, I think that one's slightly believable because, again, bullets just bounced off of these things and... Obviously, it wasn't doing any damage, so I don't think the glowing spot was anything to do with the creatures, probably. Or, you know, it wasn't that they were wounded or anything like that. Just an idea. 
And I know it may not be exactly the same color, but you know how stuff kind of gets manipulated through time. If you're just letting out shotgun shells everywhere, I mean, there's probably a good chance you may have hit, a, hit a firefly. I mean, the bioluminescent glow, glow coming on the fence could have been just a blown up firefly. Because that, I mean, everybody remembers when you're kids, man, if you take a firefly, you smash it, it still glows and you can like make like, you know, war paint on your face. <laughs> but, you know, there again, how many fireflies would they have had to hit to make something glow that could have been seen from that far away. I don't know. Like it just, I'm just throwing, I'm, I'm just spitballing ideas here, yeah. man. But I mean, like the, hey, that, there's usually, a, they usually no come in pretty good clusters. Some of these ideas, but anyway, so kind of how we uh, touched on this a little bit earlier, the Sutton and Taylor families, their validity was also kind of called into question. So Elmer and Vera Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor and June Taylor, his wife, they were um, employed with a carnival. So they were like traveling carnies, basically. And so people used that as an excuse to just like look down on these people. And go, oh, they're just trashy carnies. They're just lying about this whole thing. But you know, it was the little people any- from their troop wearing bulletproof vests just trying to pull a prank on them. That, that, that's what it was. I think we figured it out. Well, I mean, that's kind of what they said. Um, well, we hadn't got to it yet. Well, I was saying that sarcastically, but... <laughs> Hang on. Put that one on the back burner. So, anyway, uh, when the police and investigators were questioning all these guys, they concluded that the family members' stories were really consistent, and again, they did not change throughout time. So, therefore, it's you know kind of widely thought that these guys experienced something. You know, it might not have been goblins, little green men, aliens, whatever you, but Something weird happened to them that night, probably. And uh, some other theories that have been suggested, here you go, seem just even more outlandish than that. Uh, For example, it's been suggested that the creatures were either monkeys that had been painted silver and escaped from a traveling circus, but, you know, no one reported silver monkeys being, you know, seen or escaped or anything like that. And one of the other explanations was local children dressed up in costumes and playing a prank. For everybody so again, that was, doesn't know, children and monkeys are bulletproof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it was kids or monkeys, they probably would have shot one of these, and it would have been a way bigger deal than what actually happened. Down the street, there was a Wizard of Oz play that was going on, and they used the wrong color blue, and it turned out silver, and they were like, fuck it, we got to use a different set of monkeys. Just yeah. let them loose. I'll get you, my pretty. (laughs) And your little Hopskinville goblin, too. (laughs) So um, I'm going to run through some of these kind of connections and conclusions on my end, and then I will uh, let you have the floor, Shane, to uh, just talk about some of your conclusions, if that's all right. Oh, yeah, I'll throw my super weird off-the-wall theory. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so kind of like with... Uh, Flatwoods and the other stuff we've been talking about recently, there's a lot of connections with this case and other cryptid monster, high strangeness, whatever you want to call them, events. Um, For example, the Hopkinsville Goblins case occurred on the Sutton family farm, while the town of Flatwoods is located right outside of Sutton, West Virginia. So just a weird little coincidence there. And like we talked about, owls and meteors are, you know, commonly used as explanations for all this kind of shit. And even Mothman, you know, they talk about owls or sandhill cranes or whatever. So, you know, out of all these, uh, excuse me, explanations, like we talked about with Flatwoods, maybe they were just actually aliens. You know, like we said, if you've got to say this happened, then this happened, then this happened, maybe it's not as believable as meteors and owls, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, that's kind of all I've got for the Flatwood, or excuse me, Hopkinsville Goblins case. Not quite as much to dig into with this one as there was with Flatwoods, but um, fun one to research. Uh, This is another heavy hitter. So uh, Shane, take it away. Well, I already see that you have a partial reference to my theory, probably because of me bouncing it back and forth to you, or was it from another spot of research you were doing? You know, I've read so many different things about this. I can't, uh, I try to keep a list of my sources, but it kind of gets all fuzzy at some point, but anyway. So getting into my weird theory and I, am going to have to kind of line this one up a little bit. I still haven't fully done the episode on it yet that I want to do eventually, but digging into the whole concept of the moon eyed people from native American legend. And again, 
in the future, a full episode will come on just the Moon Eyed people specifically. But just to kind of give you guys a quick run over of it, essentially they were these really small people that the natives talked about, and they called them Moon Eyed people, not because they had moon shaped eyes or anything like that, but because they basically could only see in the dark from their de- the way that they would describe them. And there's also a couple of references to them having like weird technology and devices that the natives didn't quite understand. So essentially there was this like big war where they pretty much pushed them out. And some people have theorized, including myself, that these moon eyed people that they didn't talk about as more of like a, like a, you know, like mythical creature, but more so like another race of people um, could have theoretically went into the uh, mammoth caves. And like I said, I'm not, there's a, there's a handful of people have kind of theorized this and taking into consideration that they had some type of advanced technology that, the natives didn't quite understand. They were small little short things that were uh, usually kind of described as like a white, but again, at night could have gotten misconstrued and maybe the silver kind of looked like a white in the dark. Um, And then also just to line up another thing that I I can kind of bring this all together with everybody knows that I've been talking about this whole like portal theory lately um, that essentially you take this, these areas that have these magnetized volcanic rock um, and then they have some type of other rock that creates some type of like an energy source, like a battery. So, you know, Kentucky, completely covered in quartz. You have the mammoth caves underneath, which are, do have magnetized volcanic rock. Um, and then you also have the whole idea that vibration, pitch, frequency, all of that. And he even talks about it a little bit in Hellier, um, how that could theoretically be how you would open like a portal or like a stargate. And even like natives had these ideas about how in certain caves and stuff, there were like entrances into other places. So combining all those ideas, you got the moon eyed people with advanced technology. You have this theory of portal technology under the ground. So one option could be that the moon-eyed people, that's what they actually saw, were moon-eyed people coming up out of the ground, and the UFO may not have actually been related, or the UFO was some type of advanced technology that the moon-eyed people have been working on since they've been theoretically underground for a couple hundred years at this point. Or the third theory that I kind of throw into this one is that if there are these theoretical portals that are under the ground that can be opened up from pitch vibration frequency. There's a lot of like UFO sightings in these areas. Could they potentially be using these caves in order to basically transverse into our reality, into our universe? And what they were seeing was either one moon eyed people and the UFO wasn't necessarily related or moon eyed people. And the UFO was some type of their technology or three, there was a portal opening and this was actually something extraterrestrial that didn't come from the sky, but actually came from the ground. And maybe when it went into the ravine, it was in- intending to go back into another entrance, but instead it ended up crashing there instead. Or I guess another way you could even possibly look at it is that if theoretically there are portals underground that you- extraterrestrials are able to transverse their ships through, if there are moon eyed people underground and a ship comes through that, it might agitate the moon eyed people underground and they could have both happened at the same time, you know, where like the ship came out of the ground and because the ship came out of the ground, the moon eyed people that were under the ground got agitated and they ended up coming out because to see what happened with that ship. And instead of actually checking that out, they're more interested in the people. Like I know it's kind of a mix of a couple different theories, but I guess it kind of relates to the whole idea of portals underground in Kentucky and there possibly being moon eyed people under the ground in Kentucky. And you could also even go into hollow earth type ideas with all that. So, I mean, again, like once you start digging into, no pun intended, digging into these kind of things on that level, I mean, it's just a rabbit hole that you can just fall deeper and deeper down. So, um, yeah, whenever we cover this topic, the moon eyed people on the show, I think, um, you know, that's going to give us an opportunity to kind of theorize and talk about this stuff more, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's quite possible just given the area and all the weird shit that happens in this, you know, Appalachian, Kentucky, Mammoth Cave system area, it could be something even weirder than aliens coming down in a UFO. Because, I mean, there, there's a bunch of different weird theories about these, like, underground type people. And this seems to kind of fit like the idea of them that they're kind of like lanky looking. Uh, they're usually kind of small in order to probably be able to transverse through the caves easier. So, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of bouncing into your theory. I mean, they could theoretically have been something that just came from the ground. And assumably if you get into the hollow earth theory, you know, you'd have to have some type of like vehicle to get around on there. So maybe they have some type of like UFO type of thing. Um, but there's not just this, but a lot of different descriptions that talk about 
the underground cave dwelling type people. And they all kind of share somewhat of the same motif with just slight little variants to them. But just like yeah, people, I, there could be different races for different areas that have kind of adapted to each area a little bit differently, but all kind of fit the same archetype, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, I think they talk about this on, I, I don't think I know, they talk about this on Hellier a little bit, but um, I don't think they specifically talk about the Moon-Eyed people, but they do talk about, like you were saying, these underground dwelling entities that have like almost like wands. And that's something that I came across in just my little bit of research into the moon-eyed people is, you know, they specifically mentioned these things had wands. And, yep. you know, you could even go, like, Loveland Frog type shit at that point. So, like we said, you know, the rabbit hole just goes deeper and deeper and deeper once you start digging into this stuff. And like we always say, you don't have to dig very far below the surface, <laughs> no pun intended, mm -hmm. to start seeing the connections between all these things. And that's why I thought this was such a cool kind of series of topics to discuss and to tackle was one of these things on their own. It's fun to talk about, you know, Oh, that's a cool story. But when you start seeing the connections between all of them, that's where I think the real value is and the real opportunity for, you know, digging deeper and theorizing and just bouncing crazy shit off the walls and seeing what sticks at that point. I'm glad that you brought up the wands because that was another part that I was going to bring up with the moon eyed people series. Cause there's actually a split of like the moon eyed people. Uh, there was, from what my research on it, they had a little bit of a different name, but they were described the same as far as like only being able to see at night, this and that. Um, but there was like the tall variation of them that came from the West. And then there was like the short three foot or so variation of them that came from the East. But from what I was reading with a lot of it, most of like the weird wand technology came from like the tall ones that came from the West and then the unexplainable um, tools and different devices came from the ones from the east. But again, with a lot of the native stuff, it's all oral tradition. Stuff kind of gets misconstrued through time. People don't necessarily always share the stories when it comes to the native stuff because they like to kind of keep it like amongst their people kind of a thing. So it's like, it, it's kind of like one of those up in the air things. You don't necessarily know which trail to follow because there's so many different pieces that are kind of like, oh, it's a little bit over here, a little bit over there, a little bit over here, a little piece over there. <laughs> Well, and I know we need to save some of this for the actual Moon-Eyed People episode, but in my research, uh, a lot of these like taller Moon-Eyed People type beings, they're described a lot like the Nordic type extraterrestrial. So, uh, teaser, spoiler alert, whatever. We're going to talk about like the idea of ultra terrestrials and things of that nature here coming up in a little bit. So, again, lots of connections between all this stuff. And I mean, assumably. If all these things got pushed underground, you know, a couple hundred years before this happened too, you know, whether it's the tall ones, the short ones, there's probably a lot of breeding between the two of them. So both of these two different theoretical races of moon eye people eventually could have became all the same race of people. And then you get into this whole idea about like theoretically like inbreeding because through generations, you know, it's bound to happen when you're in a secluded area. And usually what will like happen on like islands, for example, is that either one from inbreeding things will advance as far as their adaptations to survive or the opposite side of it is they get really messed up from inbreeding. So, I mean, like there's still that really slim chance that rather than them getting messed up, which again, there's still a lot of underground stories of these like weird decrepit looking creatures too, such as like the boogeyman, for example. But then there's also these like intelligent advanced ones that seem to come underground. So it's like, you know, there could be a side tangent of the ones that inbred and adapted to the environment perfectly because life finds a way and it needed to happen. But there's also a good section that there's the subsection of these things that didn't get the good genetics. And they're the weird, lanky, awkward looking creatures that all people are also reporting. But they all could theoretically be the same race. It's just a matter of some, some genetics adapted better than others did. Well, and you know, one of my favorite off the wall topics is like the, uh, the feral people in the national parks and, uh, you know, specifically great smoky mountain national park in, um, in Tennessee. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole tonight, but you know, that theoretically kind of fits in with all of this and missing 411 and all that kind of crazy shit as well too. So at some point we'll just have to do a feral people episode because like I said, I can bring up the boogeyman case. Um, I can bring up a, a couple different things. Cause there's like the ones that live in the woods. There's the ones that live underground, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff we could do as far as these uh, feral people. We could probably do it as like a couple part series, at least like a two part possibly. You can do like above ground and underground. Well, as many times as I've brought it up, we need to just bite the bullet and do a series on it at some point. But anyway, I think that's all I've got kind of for uh, Hopkinsville Goblins at this point. So um, is there anything else you want to 
add before we kind of leave the listeners with this one? Uh, I think I'm about good for now until we get to that Moon-Eyed People episode, and then we'll have to uh, bring a lot of this back up. So for all the listeners out there, uh, just know that it is in the works. I have the words on paper. It's just a matter of formatting it better and correctly. And uh, just keep in mind most of the stuff from this case because it will be brought back up as far as the Moon-Eyed People episode goes. And as always, you guys know, do the internet things, reach out to us, social media, all that good stuff. You know the drill. You know how the internet works, so just get up with us. And uh, if you guys wouldn't mind, if you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Or if you think somebody really might enjoy this particular episode, share it with them word of mouth, help out those algorithms, and uh, continue to help the show grow. And anything that we do, we uh, anything you guys do, we greatly appreciate. And as always, all the shit we've mentioned is in the link tree in the show description. I've been the one. The only Shane Squatch. And I've been just Orin. And guys, we cover all these bizarre topics. So guys, you, you just you gotta keep in mind, don't be afraid of the normal world. Don't be trying to fit in with everybody. If you're gonna be our listeners, you gotta always, always remain and stay bizarre. 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 Little green men that weren't actually green.